in a world where mailmen are large and in charge. There's only one man who can take those letters where they need to be. I am that man. Hi. <laughs> Welcome to Film Greek Yikes. Film Geek Critic where we explore the best, worst, and most middle in the world of cinema. I'm Luke Jackson. I'm your host, your best friend, and your eucalyptus tree. <laughs> Feed me to your koalas. Here I am. Um, so excited to be here for our second episode of this show. We're still figuring everything out, so uh, bear with us as we, we get into a rhythm. Uh, it's going to be better every single week, I can promise you that. Uh, big week. Big week in movies this week. It'll probably be last week by the time you're listening to this, but it was the Golden Globes last Sunday, and I don't know if you tuned in. And if you didn't tune in, you, you're you lucky because it was the worst three hours of my whole life. I wrote a review on it for a uh, different publication that I'm working for, <laughs> that I'm interning with, and it was horrible. It was so hard to watch. It was all over Zoom, and it was just rough. Uh <laughs> Yeah, there was at one point before commercial breaks, what they would do is they'd have all of our celebrities on their Zoom calls, and I guess they tell them to talk to each other, and so we just got this real awkward conversation. There was at one point where Bob Odenkirk was on screen with, I think it was Al Pacino and Jason Bateman, and I'm sure the producers said, hey, go ahead and just talk, make it fun for the audience, and so Bob Odenkirk is up here, and he's trying to... He's trying to get Al Pacino to crawl out of his cave and to and to say anything. And he's saying, how's it going, Al? Al? And Al Pacino's stone cold sitting there clearly wishing he were someplace else. So anyways, if you missed that, don't, don't bother going to check it out because it was rough. Um, anyways, this week, I'm really excited about the movie we were talking about. I took a dive, as I always do, into the world of cinema. And I pulled up a little indie flick from a, from a small local director named Christopher Nolan, um, and I, I pulled out his 2000 film Memento, which obviously is not a small movie. It's one of the highest rated films of all time, Memento. It stars Guy Pierce, and uh, yeah, I'm really excited to be talking about it today. There will be spoilers, which is probably going to be a rule of thumb with this podcast, so buckle up for that. If you haven't seen it, I recommend it. It's, it's really great. I think you can honestly find the whole thing on YouTube. Unless that's illegal, then don't do that and go rent it. Um, Memento opens. We open with a, a shot in reverse of Lenny, our main character, played by Guy Pierce, shaking a Polaroid of a man who, who the character's name we let her find out is Teddy after he shoots Teddy. And uh, I want us to focus on this moment because uh, you actually shouldn't shake Polaroids. So this is where... Film starts off pretty rough. I have about 200 Polaroids. I've loved taking Polaroids. They're one of some of my favorite collecting items. I have pictures of me and my wife and all sorts of pictures of my family. Love them. You don't shake Polaroids, it ruins the film. And so the whole point of this movie is Lenny is trying to catch his wife's killer. And uh, maybe if Lenny really wanted to do that, he should be taking it seriously, not shaking up his Polaroids because it ruins the images. <laughs> but the whole movie centers around this character, Lenny who has a condition that he received in an accident involving the rape and murder of his wife where he can't make new memories. 
He knows who he is. He knows all about himself, but he can't remember anything since the accident. Uh, through repetition notes, these Polaroid pictures that he takes and tattoos on his body, Lenny is uh, hunting his wife's killer to exact revenge on him for obviously killing his wife. And so this whole movie is kind of based on this idea of not being able to make new memories. And we're, we're put right inside of Lenny's head. And so I watched this movie for the first time probably five or six years ago. It's been a while. And I hopped back in for the first time since that. And I was blown away. I It was nice because I forgot kind of the twist and how it ended. And so it was nice to, to get that for the first time again. And um, it's honestly one of the most original storytelling techniques I've ever seen the way this movie is laid out. We, we are given... Well, we start with essentially the end of the movie or the, the 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 emotional climax i guess we we are given this at the end but then or at the very beginning sorry and then throughout the film we are converging on a moment where lenny decides to kill this character teddy and so we have uh, a black and white track of shots and a color track of shots and the black and white track is leading up to the moment that Lenny decides to kill Teddy. And the color track is after that moment, leading up to the moment where we see that Lenny kills Teddy. And so it's all out of order, and these and these uh, shots are kind of intertwined in a way that's super original, and, and it does require a lot of thought, and it's not a movie that you can kind of passively watch. It's something that it needs to be um, intellectually thought about to to really understand what's happening but i thought it was i was hooked i thought it was super original and later we're going to get to some reviews that have some complaints about this but i personally really enjoyed it and really loved it um so this movie again centers on lenny and we're always in his head and this film does a really good job of allowing us to feel the frustration of somebody with this condition of constantly forgetting and not being able to make new memories uh, something that's kind of cool that's that's cool to know is when we see Lenny when he's talking with other people that camera is always a little bit closer to his face than anybody else we're always a little bit closer and we're always in Lenny's head so it's very subjective from the point that we don't know anything that Lenny doesn't obviously we can remember things but it's so frustrating to watch Lenny get this clue which would lead him closer to catching his wife's killer and then forgetting it or learning a, a pertinent piece of information forgetting it and so the film is very frustrating in this sense which again we'll talk about more later and people find that frustrating to the point of hating this movie but it's it to me was very uh indicative of what it would be like to ha have this condition and so this frustration was really really i think the frustration and tension were very elegant and very graceful um Another thing I wanted to know is the uh, casting in this movie, which is something... This is a Christopher Nolan flick, which I think his casting is always perfect. I, he knows exactly who is who can portray his characters uh, with the most realism. And I think that he has kind of an unorthodox way of choosing people, and he, and he doesn't choose people that traditionally would fit the bill. And I think... We can look at his other movies. Like he, he directed The Dark Knight and he chose Heath Ledger as the Joker and he didn't even audition Heath Ledger. Heath Ledger auditioned for um, Bruce Wayne and didn't get the part and Christopher Nolan liked him so much that he offered this role as the Joker. And when people heard that, they were livid. 
because Heath Ledger really was not the Joker. No one could see him as the Joker. He was the guy from Broke Back, Broke Back Mountain and 10 Things I Hate About You, right? He was this rom-com pretty boy actor. He wasn't the Joker, and we all obviously know how that went. Nolan also casts Harry Styles in Dunkirk, which was uh, kind of a big thing when that movie came out as well, as people were like, this is the guy from One Direction. He can act, and if you've seen Dunkirk, he does a perfect job. And so the way that um, Nolan finds these actors is amazing. And so the, 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 the role that I was so impressed with was Joe Pantoliano as the character Teddy. I don't know if I'm saying his last name right, so I apologize, Joe, if you're listening. <laughs> I don't know how to say your last name. Pantoliano is what I'm going to go with. And so he plays the perfect Teddy. And uh, at the climax of the film, we, we learn that Teddy is an undercover cop who helped Lenny find and kill the real John G he was looking for. So John G is this man who killed Lenny's wife. And we also learn that Lenny and the version of Sammy Jenkins that Lenny always presents to everyone are the same person. So this is going to be a little bit confusing. If you haven't seen the film, I recommend that you go watch it before you listen to this because I don't know what you'd get out of this. But Teddy, at the end, we kind of learn that he is the protagonist. He's this good guy, which is opposite because we're kind of leaning towards this idea that he's the one that killed and raped Lenny's wife. And we learn this because Lenny has a Polaroid that says, do not trust his lies. And at the beginning of the movie, we see that he has a Polaroid that says, he is the one, kill him now. And so at this climax, at the end of the film, we learn from Teddy that the Sammy Jenkins character, who Lenny has constantly used as kind of an example of someone else who has this condition of someone who can't make new, new memories, uh, didn't exist in the way that Lenny is remembering uh lenny presents the sammy jenkins character and tells this example that we learned throughout the movie that sammy ends up killing his wife because his wife is concerned that he's faking it and he she has diabetes and he's the one who gives her her insulin shots and so in order to kind of prove that sammy is faking it his wife will say that she needs a shot over and over again and she overdoses and dies and so teddy at the end of the movie reveals to lenny that Sammy Jenkins was faking his condition and that they caught him years ago and that the story that Lenny is recalling as Sammy's is actually his own. That Lenny's wife survived this, this assault and that Lenny was actually the one that killed his wife. And so... We then learn that Teddy was assigned, and so Teddy's an undercover cop, and his real name is John Gamble, but I'm going to refer to him as Teddy throughout the podcast. And so Teddy was assigned to Lenny's case, and they found the person who raped his wife, and Lenny killed him. And so Teddy has this Polaroid of Lenny covered in blood, smiling after he killed the man who raped his wife. And so Lenny's whole world is kind of crashing at this point because he's learning that he's already killed the man. And so this whole manhunt that he's been going on doesn't make any sense because he's hunting someone he's already killed. And so Teddy then reveals that he's been manipulated by Teddy and Natalie to kill Jimmy, Natalie's boyfriend. And Lenny's pissed, clearly and obviously, about this. And so he kind of tricks himself into killing Teddy. And that's how this movie ends is... We're not sure why he killed Teddy, but it ends with this idea of 
Lenny has a voiceover and he's talking to himself about how he's going to change reality and kill Teddy. And he gives himself a tattoo with Teddy's license plate and he writes on this Polaroid saying that he is the man who killed his wife. And so this whole movie centers on this idea of questioning reality and creating your own reality. And the question at the end of the film also prompts is, do we believe Teddy? And here's where the casting I think is so perfect is because I didn't want to believe Teddy. You know, he's this greasy guy with a greasy mustache and a kind of a nasally voice. And so I didn't want to believe him, right? And we want to believe Lenny, who's this good looking, he's, he's the leading man, right? Nice suit, good hair, and he's has this passion and this vengeance that he wants to re-event, avenge his wife. That's the word, avenge. <laughs> he wants to avenge his wife. But he already has. And he didn't need to because he's the one who killed his wife, right? And so I didn't want to believe Teddy. And so the switch of having our protagonist be Lenny, who is actually the bad guy, and Teddy, our antagonist, who is actually the good guy, really messed with my head and was a great twist, I thought, anyways. And so it was honestly the reason that I really loved this movie was this twist and this idea of choosing truth and creating your own reality, right? Because Nolan kind of explores these themes in his other films as well. We can look at The Dark Knight, where in The Dark Knight, I believe it's uh, Two-Face Harvey Dent who says you either die here or live long enough to see yourself become a bit of a villain. And we also kind of have the same theme in Inception with the whole idea of Leonardo DiCaprio's character choosing to accept his reality at the end. Right, and I might even do an episode on that because I love that movie and I love to talk about it more. So, but this movie Memento has a similar theme of Lenny at the end of the movie is choosing to trick himself into killing Teddy, and we don't know what happens after Teddy dies, but we can kind of extrapolate that Lenny will kind of accept this and get a tattoo that says. I killed John G and move on with his life. But at the same time, if he does this, what point does Lenny's life have? At one point in the movie, Teddy mentions to Lenny, he says, you've created yourself a puzzle that you can't solve and your life would be essentially worthless without this. He, he, he'll never remember killing the man who killed his wife. Right? Or, or I guess the man who raped his wife because he didn't even kill his wife. So he's never going to remember these facts but he can trick himself into, I guess, accepting a reality where he's done that. But will that bring him joy because he can't remember? And so it's this, it's this frustrating reality and this frustrating idea of what do we choose to be real? And can we trick ourselves into believing it is real? And so overall, again, I, I really loved this movie and I thought it was, it was twisty and it was smart and it was intelligent and I, and I loved the way that it unfolded with this convergence on this moment of realization, right? Because we don't have anything after Teddy's death, but we have all the stuff in between which make us question uh, what reality is. And so star ratings are completely pointless, but <laughs> I loved this movie, so I'm going to give it five out of five Polaroids that I'm not going to shake because I want to keep the images forever. So we're going to go on to re some reviews now, and we're going to talk for a minute about uh, how dumb people are. <laughs> I, I, I go in and I'm going to find, I found some reviews that are opposite, that are trashing on this movie, and we're going to 
discuss those a little bit. So first, it's a uh, half star review. So one and a half star, sorry, just one half star out of five from Letterbox user Jimbo Hartman. Jimbo says, the most interesting thing about the film is its structure. I like how it places you in Leonard's shoes with how it constantly puts you in situations that you don't know how to get, how you got into. I have a massive issue with this structure. <laughs> so first, that's <laughs> a lot of contradictions in this first half sentence where he says, I think it's interesting, but I hated it. <laughs> he goes on and says, there are so many occasions where getting the context for certain scenes is entirely unnecessary. And what's more annoying is that the film treats it like a big reveal every time when in reality the reveal is how did Leonard get into Natalie's house? She let him in. The abundance of moments like this that just confirm what you've already assumed make the film one of the longest experiences of my life. There are a few occasions where the reveals do a good job at recontextualizing what you already knew in interesting ways, but for the most part, it's just boring. So I'm going to pop in here and talk a little bit about what Jimbo said. So he raises an interesting point about this movie being boring because we are constantly getting context that we can assume. And I think boring is a very uneducated way to put it. <laughs> I think Boento is a movie that requires a lot of thought while watching. You have to pay attention to little details and it doesn't spoon feed you information. right? You have to think about what you're seeing and recall what you've seen before. And so this movie can be called frustrating as we are in Letty's head and constantly not having a 100% clear idea of what's happening. But at the same time, I don't think this film uses frustration to make each contextual point feel like a big reveal like Jimbo mentions. He mentions a point with Natalie's house. And so Natalie is this character that we get and we don't we don't understand the, the extent of Lenny's and Natalie's relationship until a little bit later on. We don't know how Lenny met Natalie immediately. We don't know how he's in her house or how he wakes up in her bed. We don't know that. But when it's revealed, it isn't... It isn't this big gotcha moment. It isn't this big think about this detail of, oh, she let him in the house, right? I don't think this movie uses those simple moments to be big reveals. They don't focus on them. They don't lie on them. They kind of just keep moving forward. And so Jimbo calls it boring, but I think it would only be boring to someone who chooses to be bored and only watches half of the movie. It can be boring, I guess, if you're trying to stay one step ahead and you're trying to be like, well, I know how that happened, right? And it's a very pretentious way to go about watching this movie, I think. Anyways, Jimbo goes on and he says, Leonard is also a really bland character who for 90% of the film isn't developed beyond his motivations and his disability. The twists adds a layer of tragedy to him, though, revealing how he's not allowing himself to move on by putting himself in this cycle of revenge so he can feel some sense of purpose. I like this aspect of the character, but it's such a tiny facet of Leonard that it's hard to give the film much credit for it. I also found Guy Pierce's performance to be quite on note. He handles the little black and white phone call scenes quite well, though, and I think the dialogue is pretty good for the most part. Apart from when Natalie drops the we're both survivors cliche about 20 minutes in, that literally made me want to turn the film off. Also, there was some unnecessary voiceover towards the end. So Jimbo tells us that Lenny is not allowing himself to move on. But that's not true. The whole idea is that he quite literally can't move on because he doesn't. Re he won't remember moving on. And the twist isn't that Lenny isn't letting himself move on. Right? Lenny doesn't remember, and he's being manipulated by Teddy and Natalie for different reasons, 
to continue this hunt. And when Lenny finds this out, unbeknownst to Teddy, he makes a note to himself that he's going to kill Teddy and have that be the moment of him moving on. Right, so this film explores this idea of Lenny forcing himself to move on by lying to himself. And so that's the climax. So Jimbo's not really using his brain here when he's saying that this <laughs> is him not allowing himself to move on. And he also mentions that a big one of his big issues was the whole we're both survivors cliches that Natalie uses. But at the same time, this isn't used in a traditional or cliche sense. What makes a cliche a cliche is that it's used in the same way, right? And the reason it's a cliche is because in certain contexts, it works, right? Everyone has these cliche thoughts. That's what makes them cliche. And so Natalie uses this, we're both survivors, to manipulate Lenny into helping her out, right? And having him kill someone who isn't the person that he's looking for. <laughs> and so Natalie's not really a survivor, so when Jimbo says this, I feel like maybe he did turn the movie off after 21 minutes because he clearly has no idea what the hell he's talking about. Um, next, we're going to move on to a one-star review from Letterboxd user Rode Costello. Rode says, The film is backwards, but what makes that genius? I found it to have horrible, bland, and one-dimensional characters that not only brought down the story, but along the way had bland relationships. I wasn't invested in anything that was happening. And the structure felt like a gimmick. The film uses his notes and tattoos to break one of the most important filmmaking rules. Show, don't tell. The dialogue also does this constantly. The directing was boring. The performances were boring. The story made me want to pull my eyeballs out of my sockets. And the structure was literally the same as any movie. But much more disoriented and confusing and dumb. So, as I look through reviews, there's a lot of them that are accusing this movie of being boring and confusing because it's backwards. And I think calling it backwards is a huge oversimplification, and it's overlooking what the movie is about. Yes, we begin the film with the last scene. It's the end. But the movie, and the important part of it, is converging at the middle of the film. So we have this line from the beginning, which isn't shown from the beginning, but chronologically it happens at the beginning, and it's in black and white. And in black and white, we're moving towards Lenny's decision to kill Teddy, the climax at the end of the film. Then, line in color, we have the movie showing us after this decision to kill Teddy to when he kills Teddy. And so both of these lines are moving to the moment that he chooses to kill Teddy, which is the climax of the film. And it's confusing unless you've seen the movie, but I'm convinced that this movie is only disorienting to the foolish. It's, it's not that hard to understand, and saying it that it's backwards is overlooking this idea of subjective truth and subjective reality that the movie's really about, right? It's, it's less about this idea of him hunting his wife's killer and more about this idea of what is truth and can we trick ourselves into doing something that is horrible but we're gonna forget and we're gonna seem like the hero anyways because everyone wants to be the hero. And so Rode also mentions that the structure is the same as any other movie but this one is confusing to him. And he calls it dumb. And that's confusing to me that he's he's saying, this movie's the same, but it's stupid. <laughs> and so I don't I don't get that. But the next line, I think, gives us some more clarity on this. The next line of, of Rhodes' review says, Nolan always likes to make you think he's a genius. And this is possibly his biggest example, having a story backwards. <laughs> so 
Road hates Christopher Nolan, which is fine. I totally get it. He's not for everybody. But there's this community out there that just hate him because he's mainstream, because he's popular. <laughs> and this, this I, I checked out Rhodes' profile, so I'm not baseless <laughs> in my remarks. He Oftentimes he sees a Nolan movie and he gives it a poor review because he just doesn't like Nolan, which it, 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 it's fine. Christopher Nolan, again, isn't for everybody. <laughs> but Rhodes mentions that Christopher Nolan wants to make us think that he's a genius. And I feel like this is kind of a common thread in, in these people who don't like Christopher Nolan is that they feel like they're that Christopher Nolan is doing this for them. And I genuinely don't think that he cares at all about what people think of his movies, right? There was a recent interview with him regarding Tenet and its confusing nature. And Nolan said something along the lines that at the end of the day, who cares? Right, Nolan's doing this because he gets it and he's having fun with it and he's making and telling stories that he likes to tell. Right, and obviously any filmmaker is gonna want to be successful and cares cares that his film is received well, but on a level that he wants us to think he's a genius, I I don't think he cares. I genuinely don't think so. And I guess I might be a little bit biased because I I really like Nolan. I grew up on his movies. Right, he was one of the filmmakers that got me into filmmaking, and so. I, I do really enjoy his films. But Rode is out here with a personal vendetta against Nolan because he thinks Nolan is doing this for him specifically. Right? He he's trying to make Rode think that he's a genius. But sorry, buddy, Nolan really doesn't care. <laughs> uh Rode's last line of his review says, To sum up my review, it was just impossible to stay intrigued and its gimmicks distracted so much. <laughs> so Rode <laughs> took a whole lot of words here to say I didn't get it <laughs> which you know what that's fine but don't pretend it's not what it is <laughs> next we got another one star review and this is from IMDB user Al Rodell and uh, he says if you have an IQ over 120 and are attentive this may be a great film but for those who have a touch of what the hero had which is difficulty incorporating new information, this will be an avalanche of short, unconnected scenes that will be as incoherent as Leonard, the protagonist's life. We saw it on TV, and my wife, much smarter than I, mostly got it. I was only confused, even with her coaching. Since this has gotten great ratings here and has been a financial and artistic success, I guess I'm in the minority. This is not really a pan of a film. Only that to me, and I would guess many others. It would be like a complex Chinese film with no subtitles. Some would get it, but others would not. And for those who could put the, together the puzzle, I can see how it was a real pleasure. So if you think you can figure it out, change my rating to a 10. You'll love it. And I love this review. It's so genuine and it's so honest. And I feel so bad for Al Rodell. <laughs> He, he said, oh, Memento, I haven't caught this one yet. And then he was berated for 113 minutes by a movie that he just couldn't understand. And I read a lot of reviews, and I, I didn't include them all, because they were all very similar to the Road Castellos that I read, where it was people just being angry and saying that it was stupid. But this feels like a more honest review <laughs> of all of or a more honest version of those reviews where it's just 
it's okay to say you didn't get it. It's no big deal. And I can just imagine this this poor guy's wife trying to help him out, but I'll run it out like the poor little kid he is. And he's like, he's like, have you ever done <laughs> when you're doing math with your dad at midnight and he's yelling at you and he's saying you just need to do it and you just can't get it? Oh, <laughs> uh, poor guy. He just tried hard. And you know, I, I think I think that it's fair to not like this movie because you didn't get it. But I think it's unfair to pretend it's anything other than that. <laughs> Uh, the last review I'm going to go to is a one-star review from Google reviewer Conrad Elliott. So Conrad says, I'd rather uneat everything I've ever eaten in reverse time than watch this movie again. If you like original but unsatisfying, then this one is for you. I might be a bit old-fashioned, I think. I needed a jam sandwich and a glass of milk afterwards. <laughs> and so here's another one that I just, I really, really enjoy. I think it's it's just honest, right? Like he he doesn't get it, and that's fine. He doesn't have to, and he just needs a he needs a jam sandwich and a glass of milk afterwards. And you know what? I I, I get his complaint as well. the The ending is unsatisfying because it's untraditional, right? We don't get this happy ending. We don't really get closure in a way, right? We we are left not knowing what Lenny's gonna do after Teddy's death. And I saw a similar one star review that mentions this idea of it being bad because of this twist, right? And it's hard because we really want Lenny to be the hero. We really want Lenny to get vengeance on his wife and we really want criminals to be brought to justice. I, that's a natural response to anything. But that's not what we get, right? We we learn that Lenny killed his wife by accident, but he, he's not the hero we thought he was. We learn that he's killed two other men, right? He's... He's not this good guy out for vengeance. He's a confused guy who can't remember who he's killed. And that's frustrating. And so I get it. When there isn't a happy ending, it's hard. And, you know, if that's not for you, then take your milk and your jam sandwich and, and stick to Disney movies. And there's nothing there's nothing wrong with that at all. Uh, so that's that's going to do it for me. All in all, I, I loved this movie. I think it's great. And if you have genuine complaints about it, I'd love to hear them. You can shoot me an email at luke.jackson at thegeekwave.com or you can follow me on Twitter, which I'm not very active on, but I'm trying to be better. My Twitter is at underscore underscore Luke Jackson. And if there's anything you want to say about this movie, if there's any other movies that you want me to talk about, if there's anything you just want to say, just let me know. I'd love to hear it. Um, so the final review that I'm going to read, I'm going to leave you with the wise words of a letterbox user named Truman who says... This is what Finding Dory should have been. <laughs> uh, for Geek Film Critic, I'm Luke Jackson. Thanks for listening.